Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me here at Wellness and Wanderlust. I'm so grateful to each and every one of you for being a part of this journey with me. Whether you're looking to cultivate a more positive mindset, build healthier habits, or simply find inspiration for your next adventure, you have come to the right place. This week, we're joined by the incredible Jenny J, founder of Sipping Streams Tea Company and host of the Essence of Tea podcast. She also has a book called The Essence of Tea as well. Sipping Streams is based in Alaska and is the only geothermal tea farm in the world. In our conversation, we dive into the many health benefits of tea and how it can positively impact our physical and mental well-being. Jenny also shares her journey from school educator to entrepreneur and tea farmer, how to get into more sustainable business practices, and much, much more. Whether you're a tea aficionado like me or just starting to explore the world of tea, you really won't want to miss this fascinating conversation with Jenny. So enough for me. Let's dive in and hear from our guest. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. Thank you for having me today. Well, I'm so excited to chat with you. I am a big drinker of tea. I love drinking my tea every day, and I'm very excited to get into our topic and to talk about the work that you do. Before we dive in, why don't you first introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, my name is Jenny Jie, and I'm the owner and founder of Sipping Streams Tea Company, which is in Fairbanks, Alaska. I've had my tea company for 16 years now. We are not just a tea company. Well, we're more than just a tea company. We actually specialize in tea education, but my tea brand is a manufacturer. So I manufacture all of our blends, our packages, our pyramid tea bags. Like we actually have our own machine that does that. Um, we make our own hot cocoa mixes and honey, like local raw honey, fireweed honey. And we are also a restaurant too. So there's three different departments of my company and it's manufacturing, retail and food service. That is so cool. And I'm so fascinated. I know that I, you know, I was listening to a little bit of your show and that you actually started as more of a coffee drinker. And I'd love to know more of what led into starting this company and the work that you're doing. Yeah. So my background is um, athletic training. So I used to work in sports medicine and I was a double major in college. So it was athletic training and physical education teaching. And this is where we're gonna hear more of like the education side and why we specialize in tea education because I used to be a former educator, a school educator. I'm still an educator, but growing up in Alaska, we are a coffee drinking state. Like coffee is definitely king, even though tea has been around for like millennia. And even though the indigenous people of Alaska practice drinking tea, but the majority of people drink coffee. And when I grew up here in Alaska, we were the only family who lived in Alaska. I was born in Hong Kong, so I'm Chinese. And uh, we moved to Alaska when I was a baby. My parents are retired professional chefs. And when we came to Alaska, it was very important, especially in the early 80s, to assimilate. And it's very much Asian culture, whether like you're Indian, Japanese, Korean, Chinese, like you don't want to make waves. Culturally for Asian people, they don't want to make waves. They don't want to rock the boat. So my father coming to America drinks a lot of coffee, but he's been traveling the world since he was 13 as a chef, as a merchant marine, just working on all these different cruise ships, cargo ships, and stuff like that. So he actually left home a long time ago. So tea drinking was not part of his ritual already from the beginning. And then growing up in my family here in Alaska, everyone drinks coffee. Everyone offers you a cup of coffee because it's something hot. And my mom, she doesn't drink coffee. She just drinks hot water. <laughs> so she wasn't a tea drinker either. But growing up here, when our parents, our grandparents came to visit us, they would drink tea. They practiced the Chinese tea ceremony every morning. I didn't know it was actually tea because it was a weird thing grandpa did. And because <laughs> it looked different. It's not like what you think about having like a cup of tea with a teapot or a kettle heating it up on the stove. It was totally different. The Chinese tea ceremony just looks different. So 
since we're like the Asian family in the neighborhood, you know, everyone looks at us like everything they do is so weird. And so I started drinking coffee because it literally was just something that was on my dad's RV bumper one day. My sister's like, what's that weird thing dad always drinks and leaves there on the bumper? I dare you to drink it. <laughs> so I drink it. I'm like, oh, man, this stuff tastes amazing. And I actually prefer black coffee. But at the same time, when my grandparents came to visit us from Hong Kong, which Hong Kong's like a huge metropolitan place, right? You got Paris, London, New York, Hong Kong. They would bring C's candy, and my grandmother would bring C's coffee candy. I don't know why she picked coffee candy. Maybe she liked it, but I love that candy too. So you can see how like coffee's like something that I grew up drinking. So I didn't get into tea until my last year of college because every day my drink at the coffee shop cost $5.28 every day. And I was like, oh man, I got to pay these student loans back. Like what's the cheapest thing on the menu? Oh, it's like a dollar. It's tea. So I started drinking tea and all my friends, they knew I was graduating in athletic training and physical education. And they're like, Oh, are you drinking tea? Cause you're a trainer. I heard it's healthy for you. And they tell me all these things like, Oh yeah, I heard it cures cancer or whatever before I could even say anything and say, no, I'm just drinking it. Cause it's cheap. Like they would start their own like micro conversations about tea. Cause none of them were tea drinkers either. And they're like, Oh, it must be the cool thing. Like Jenny's drinking it. Like, you know, she must know a lot about it. I'm like, no, I know nothing. So that's where it started piquing my curiosity because as I'm going into the education field as teachers, we don't have to know everything. We just have to be able to find the resources and to teach it to other people. And so then I would go to the library, study my athletic training classes, study case studies, like medical research on different medicinal rehabilitation techniques or whatever. But sometimes I'd actually come across case studies on research on tea. And so I'd read the whole thing, read the demographics and the type of parameters it was. And then I would tell my friends what I learned from it, just because I didn't actually answer their question if tea cured cancer or not, but it answered some other questions or what I knew from that specific case study. So that's the beginning of my personal tea journey. That's so cool. I got into tea in college as well. I was not really a tea drinker. It just wasn't something that interested me. And then in college, I had a roommate that drank it and that got me kind of down that path. And now it's aside from water, really my drink of choice. So I love kind of that transition. And I'm not a big, big coffee drinker. But when I do, I usually prefer it black. So with the tea, I I really do think there there are so many health benefits to that. And it's something that we, we know that it's good for us, but we don't necessarily always know why. So as you were starting to do this research and read these case studies, what did you find in terms of those health benefits? And how were you able to apply them in your life? There's, okay, so every tea, just like if you're going to herbal medicine studies or even pharmacology, like I had to take pharmacology in college too. So every plant has different parameters, grown in different locations, harvested in different seasons, even like the picking of the tea leaf on the different stock of the plant, like, because it's a tree actually, even though it's been hedged down, it's a tree. So it's been pruned and groomed to be looking like a bush, like you see in these beautiful landscape photographs. But even the part of the plant that you pick the leaf on will have different density of nutrition, different, you know, amount of photosynthesis, how different chlorophyll, like starved of sunlight or not. Then there's the soil of the terroir. Like you talk about the wine industry and there's all these different nuances about the vineyards. It's the same thing with tea. So some very popular benefits of tea, like well-known, well-publicized will be that it has a lot of ECGC, which is this long chain of polyphenols that the most powerful part about this and why it has these anti-cancer properties, anti-inflammation properties, anti-aging properties, is that this big long name, but we'll just call it ECGC, is a polyphenol. Like that is, um, it's a chain that is non-cell specific. So it can attach to cells in your mouth. It could attach to cells in your heart. It could attach to cells in your brain. Anywhere at all, what it does is it creates a shield, a barrier around healthy cells to prevent free radicals from breaking it down. 
well, what does a free radical mean? Oh, it's cancer, it's toxic, it's pollution. Well, so many things. It could be even just oxygen. Anything can break down a cell over time. And so when you have this protective shield any against, um, like for any cells in your entire body, that's incredibly powerful because that means that cell is not going to break down or age. It's now shielded and protected for a while until, you know, till the shield weakens, right? And then that's where, you know, aging comes, right? There's then when people replicate lots of, let's say, um, mutated cells, that's what we call cancer. So when you're protecting healthy cells with this one component, this one simple thing that there's, and there's tons of benefits of tea, you're now protecting your whole entire body essentially. But this is, has to be like a regular consuming tea individual, right? Like you and I. Like we just drink tea all the time, we feel great. We feel great because our body is not breaking down as quickly as it could in so many different areas. So that's the first major benefit of tea. And that's why it has those anti-inflammation. Inflammation has to do with destruction and slowness to heal. But then another powerful component of the tea plant itself. And when I say tea plant, I'm talking about green tea, white tea, oolong, black, and poor, because it's technically all from the same plant. Just like coffee is all from the same coffee plant, right? So when you think about the tea plant, you got ECGC and a bunch of other components. And then there's this thing, this amino acid called L-theanine. And L-theanine is in all, all green leafy plants on earth everything, lettuce, kale, your trees outside, your, your flower leaves or whatever. But the tea plant itself has some of the highest concentrations of this amino acid. And what it does is it calms and relaxes your body. So tea drinkers, avid tea drinkers are pretty chill. And what's really funny is that so many coffee drinkers, hardcore coffee drinkers, like they want it because they need the energy, right? Or whatever they're trying to do with the caffeine, right? And then we'll doctor it up with all this stuff because they don't really like the taste of coffee, but you and I like the taste of coffee. But then they feel all jittery and there's like a limit. There's like a max of how much you consume. Like I like my max is probably four pots of coffee. I can drink lots of coffee actually. <laughs> and L-theanine is not in the coffee berry pit that makes coffee. It's only in the green leafy part of it. And coffee is not the green leafy part of the plant, but tea it is, all it is is leaves. It's the green part of the plant. And since it has the highest concentration to calm and relax your body, most coffee drinkers don't realize that tea technically dry form to dry form, like a leaf versus a bean, it actually has more caffeine in a tea leaf than a coffee berry. Did you know that? No, not at all. But because of that L-theanine that's in it, it calms and relaxes your body. So you've gotten like this enlightening feel in your mind, clarity, and actually energy. But because you're so calm, you don't think you have energy, but your mind feels awake, focused, clear. So I would just say those are some of the most popular, well-known benefits of tea in the tea industry that maybe some of the listeners don't know today. I love that because that's so true. I really don't drink a ton of coffee. Like I'll have it sometimes for the energy at an event, for example, when they're serving it at the end and you need that little boost. And with the tea, I find that it's not getting me jittery in the same way as, I mean, not necessarily that coffee does, but especially with like, well, when I've had espresso, but but with the, with the tea, it's so funny. I've done a pre-workout before that had green tea and L-theanine and and it was basically to give you the energy without the jitters. And mm -hmm. I found that to be like, I felt like I performed better at work even when I have my tea starting the day off that way. And it just, it has that effect on me in a way that it's, energy, but it's focused energy. Yes. Yes. And that's, and that's a key part about that. It's like when you look at Eastern philosophy or religions, Taoism, Buddhism, you know, you have the yin yang, the balance, the balance of the two. So when you imagine like these hundreds of years of Buddhist monks or or Taoist people practicing their rituals or whatever it is. And they're meditating and they're meditating on hours on end. I mean, I remember going to India and waking up in the morning and I can hear all the chants across like the mountaintops 
of the people early morning doing their chants, their prayers, but they're calm. They're not shouting. They're just making it loud and resonating in this deep, confident voice. And so when you think about that, you can think about like that energy is clear. It's bold. It's confident right? And that's kind of how it makes you feel. And you're like, wow, I feel different at work than if I drank a couple of shots of espresso. You know, part of it has to do with that L-theanine. A big part of it has to do with the L-theanine for the way we feel. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's, that's such a great thing to know, just that tea does have these types of benefits that you can't necessarily get from coffee. Not that coffee doesn't have benefits because it certainly does. But I think to understand that those benefits are there. And I think the anti-inflammatory piece to it is so important as well. As someone with autoimmune disease, I really appreciate that fact as someone who just happens to like tea. So I'd love to know, as you've learned these health benefits and you became more and more of a tea drinker in college, how do you go from athletic educator? And I know that you're doing a lot with education in your company now, but how do you take that and go down the entrepreneurial route and what led to the company that you have today? Yeah, so I I practiced athletic training. So I was the head trainer for a local high school. And on the weekends, I worked with the number one um, sports medicine orthopedic surgeon in the state. So on Saturdays, I'd work with his post-surgery patients that literally just came out of surgery. I'd be doing their wound care and doing their passive rehabilitation immediately because he very strongly believes, and so do I, is to start rehabilitation immediately after injury, after surgery. What can you do to get yourself back to as close as possible as you were before the incident or injury or whatever happened? And so when I worked there, I learned a lot about his mindset of who he was. It's about the quality of life, returning to care, the best possible care possible, the education with medicine in general. And as an athletic trainer, we're kind of like the bottom of the rung. We're below physical therapists. You know, we're like the glamorized water boy or water girl on the (laughs) sideline. No one knows why we're actually there, but we're actually there to watch an injury happen and to take care of it right away. And because we see it happen, we know how to rehabilitate them as quickly as possible. And so that mindset of of quality of life, even post-surgery or post-incident or whatever, is something I very much believe and has to be holistic, right? It's not just, I had surgery, then I did a bunch of physical therapy, and now I'm good to go. No, no, no. If your whole lifestyle doesn't support that too, you're going to get injured again. Like say you're um, like a bull rider. That's one of the craziest sports. You're a bull rider and you get injured and you go through all your rehab and all this stuff. And then you continue to be a bull rider and fall off and get, you know, hit or whatever. You're just putting yourself in a situation where you're just, your quality of life isn't going to be the best when you're old and you can't ride a bull anymore. You've really, you know, damaged yourself over the years. And granted, you might've really enjoyed that sport, But then there's going to be a time where it's like, what else do I want with my life? And a lot of people that I saw were not just athletes, but people who are older. And I'm like, okay, that's cool that you had this cool trick of double jointedness or whatever. But now that you're an adult, do you really need that skill anymore? Like now you have like a permanent, unstable elbow. And we're just seeing like people who had to make a huge career change that they couldn't do what they did anymore. And I was like, hmm okay, that's interesting. We're here to help them, but there's got to be more like to the person's mindset. And then I went and I taught English in Hong Kong, mostly for my cultural identity crisis. You know, I'm a Chinese person growing up in Alaska. I don't really speak Chinese. My family all say I'm so white. And then my white friends say I'm so Asian. And so I'm just like, let me challenge myself. Let me go and put myself in a very uncomfortable situation and humble myself to going to a place where I was from originally. Hadn't been there, I think I was like 20 maybe at the time and hadn't been there since I was a baby. I don't have a lot of confidence in my ability to speak. And growing up, I was always teased by my family that I didn't speak enough Chinese. So I'm like, okay, where's the next growth stage in my life? So I decided to challenge myself and teach English in Hong Kong. Granted, yeah, I did kind of have a head start because I can I understand things in Chinese, but I'm not good at speaking it. Make myself uncomfortable so I can learn. And so through that, I realized my judgments 
and my perceptions of when I was a child or certain situations should not be generalized for all people. You don't give people the chance and the opportunity to show who they really are when you put that filter on them. So I put a filter on Asian people that I thought I knew how they were because of my past experiences. And I'm like, wow, this is really healing. And then tea kept coming up. Do you want to have tea? You want to have tea? You want to have tea? And remember, Hong Kong used to be British, so it's very much a tea drinking place. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. Or I mean, I guess everyone drinks tea here, not coffee. So just like humbling myself, appreciating what they had to offer to me. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? People in college kept wondering why I was drinking tea. And tea is Chinese. And so that journey and learning more about tea actually helped me heal my own cultural identity. A lot of holes and gaps where I just really needed healing in my mindset and in my heart too, towards different types of people. And then because I'm learning so much about tea, I keep telling people about tea or what I learned. So through these years, and I end up being a high school teacher, everyone's like, you know so much about tea, you should start a tea company. I'm like, well, I don't really know that much about tea. I'm just trying to find the answers. Like everyone keeps asking me and I don't know the answers. So I'm trying to find the answers. And then fast forward to the high school, the high school wanted me to design a semester long curriculum in tea. Cause the students were so curious about what I was doing, which I'm, I mean, I'm not really a tea drinker at this point. I'm just drinking these tea bag teas, you know? <laughs> and we don't have specialty teas here in Alaska. We don't have specialty teas here in Alaska at that time. And so I was like, well, maybe we could do a fundraiser for my tea class and we'll have the opportunity to fly down to the lower 48, down to Seattle and go visit tea rooms and actually get to see these things that we can't see in Alaska. So we did a fundraiser where we sold tea. Like we bought specially loose leaf teas from a wholesaler and we packaged them in gift baskets and everything like that. And then we sold them to earn our trip down to Seattle to visit different tea rooms, tea houses, Japanese, um, you know, Western colonial time tea shops and markets. And it just was like, people were like, you need to start a tea company. I'm like, I don't need to start a tea company. I'm a teacher. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that was like the beginning of like moving me and people pushing me into starting a tea company. I wish I could take that class. It sounds like so much fun and such a cool opportunity for the students and for you too, to get to experience it in those different ways. And I think it's so great that through teaching the English in Hong Kong, you were able to really get out of your comfort zone. And I think doing something like that, it builds your confidence in a way that something like starting a business, I think is a scary thing. It's something that is very much a comfort zone thing. And I'm sure that doing the time abroad had to really help with kind of showing you that you can do it and that you can pick things up and learn. And I, I think it, it had to help so much with that, with that journey. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I am now transporting myself into a place that A, is uncomfortable and B, I don't have my support system. But what I have to allow myself is that community, that local community in Hong Kong, that school, my students, they are now my new community. And I have to let them help me, support me. And when people are in business for themselves for the first time and they have no business background like I didn't, you have to rely on finding a community who can help you and support you, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's so much, I think entrepreneurship in general, it can sometimes be a lonely experience. It's a, it's a scary experience. You're putting yourself out there in a way that, yeah, it's scary. It's not a guaranteed income. There's a lot that can be on the line for it. And it's, it's a lot of hard work. And I think a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you're not only the founder or CEO, but you are everything, you know, in the org chart and you have to, do, you have to do so many things, learn so many things. And having community there, having people to turn to, whether it's for that emotional, moral support or for practical advice and resources and things like that. I mean, that really is so powerful. Mm -hmm. So you're teaching, you do this amazing trip, you really immerse yourself in the tea world in that sense. What is that transition like then? People have been telling you, start the company, start the company. What was the final thought of, yes, I'm going to do it? Like, what, what tipped you over the edge? 
So people have told me because my story is just wild and crazy. So that's why I wrote a book about, about yeah. how I to tea. Um, but yeah, so I am teaching our school is a private school, and it owns its own business. And in the summer, I was the person working in the office, it was a printing company that the, the school actually owned. So they're like, Okay, we need parents volunteers, Jenny, you want a part time job in the summer, you're not teaching. I was like, Okay, sure, I'll, I'll run the business of whatever, you know, I need to do. And so in the meantime, before that summer, I had gone to a conference and I met a gentleman who was a business advisor in cross-cultural businesses and bringing people over to China to preserve like indigenous cultures in China. So when you think of China, you think of, oh, like all these Asian people, but there's actually a lot of minority Chinese indigenous groups there. So I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Well, rural areas have tea farms. And he's like, yeah, but he knew nothing about tea. So I was going to go fly to China and meet this person to be my translator because now I'm even going into a more uncomfortable situation. I am going to mainland China where I don't speak Mandarin, okay? Because I'm from Hong Kong. We speak Cantonese and English. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to know anything. <laughs> like I've already been uncomfortable once. I can give this a shot. So anyways, I met this business advisor and he's like, yeah, if you want to go and visit tea farms in China, I can connect you with some people there. I mean, I don't know the tea industry, but I will find the right people for you. I'm like, sure, why not? It's a vacation. And this was the summer that I was working at the school, like at the printing company for the school. So I'm about to hand my airplane ticket to the agent at the jetway. I'm right at the gate and the school calls me and I was like, oh, thank you so much for calling me back because we didn't have direct deposit. I'm like, could you just put my check in my bank account for me? And they're like, yeah, it'll be totally fine. Oh, by the way, when you come back, you're not gonna have a job. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, there's only five kids coming back next year. And I was like, okay, oh, you can't afford another teacher, I understand. And so I'm like, that's like a micro school now, right? There's no way you can pay another teacher. So I just sat in my airplane seat, getting ready to fly overseas, over the ocean. And I'm like, I guess I'm doing a tea business. <laughs> wow. So it wasn't like I had a choice. It was like, you're doing this, by the way. <laughs> well, I think it causes you to jump right into something and certainly out of comfort zone. But I think also it's a good time to be starting that for sure, even though really, really scary, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and then I did do like my side hustle was substitute teaching for the school district because I'm still a certified teacher. I'm very employable. This part what made my parents upset because they're very Asian. Why don't you pick mm -hmm. something stable? Don't be an entrepreneur, work at a hospital, work at a school, you know, <laughs> like, why don't you go back to those things? And I'm like, because the opportunity has come up now. I can always do that as a side hustle. They're always going to need substitute teachers, but I'm really feeling the calling now to do this tea thing, whatever it is. And that really made them even more upset. They're like, what do you mean? Whatever it is, you don't even know what you're doing with this business. And I'm like, nope, but I'm just going to lean into where I see a need. And that's what I did. So then you get to China. What did that trip to the tea farm look like? And how, how did that play in when you started sipping streams? Yeah, so one of the things was he took me to a bunch of different tea farms. And the very first place I did fly into was Guangzhou, which is like right next to Hong Kong, because I have family friends who live there and like really powerful, rich Asian friends who live there. And I kept hearing them on the phone. Like these are like people in the government and stuff. And I'm like, okay, these are like the crazy rich people. And I'm from Alaska. So I totally don't look like I belong, you know, because I'm more frumpy, more wild and free type of person. I don't look, I would look Alaskan. I wouldn't look Asian. Like my style of clothing isn't the same. And so I just sit in the backseat of the car and I'm hearing them talk about moving tons of money back and forth and trading and selling. And then I picked up on the word because it's, they're speaking the dialect that, that I speak and they're talking about tea. And I was like, what? Like, what is going on? So I'm just eavesdropping, right? And they're trading like, like the stock market on tea. And this was right before the poor bubble crashed. 
Poor tea is the only tea that ages like a wine. It's highly valued. And so I was just listening. And then my friend would take me to these tea markets. And then when I flew into mainland China, again, I was just listening, visiting all these different tea farms and really understanding what it was like to do business in China, right? Because if I'm going to get tea from China, I better be more of the observer, be humble, be quiet, listen more than I speak. A lot of people was really funny because I could understand some things and they'd ask the translator or I could tell from their body language, like, does she not speak? She looks Chinese. And he would say, oh, she's from Alaska. And they're like, oh, but she really looks Chinese, right? <laughs> Alaskan, like Alaskan native. And so I was just like, huh, interesting. There's certain like things that you have to do for business etiquette. And if I don't open my mouth, not even to barter on the street, people keep dropping their prices. And so I'm like, oh, this is how negotiations work, right? But I'm traveling to different parts of China, not just one part of China. So I'm seeing like what it looks like in the big cities. I see what it looks like with like really rich people. I see what it's like to understand the culture of the tea farmers and the tea workers and understanding pricing structures and the middleman. So I'm just literally that whole trip was just absorbing everything I could possibly do to like learn the tea industry there and also buy some teas, right? And it was a great time to build a lot of relationships. But more importantly, I had like a mini boot camp on how to deal with like international trade in a way. And so I was very privileged in that way because I thought I was just gonna, you know, I didn't even know I was gonna start a tea company. I was just like, let's just dip our toes over here. This guy said he could show me some places in China. Like, okay, I kind of trust him. Let's see how this works out. And it just blew my mind how much more ahead I was in the tea industry and meeting other tea professionals in the U.S., like realizing that that experience made me so far ahead of the game of what it was to own a tea company in the United States. That's amazing. I mean, what a cool opportunity, first of all, and very impactful. And I think that there's nothing like developing, I think, that cross-cultural business etiquette and knowing how things work in other parts of the world when it comes to, I think, building a business and even working with people in general. But the way that it puts you so far ahead and how cool it is, too, just that you were originally going there more out of curiosity curiosity and place of interest and it leads to your business and it leads to your livelihood and this new passion and I really think it's such a cool thing so you get back to the U.S. and as you're taking in what you've learned from these experiences with sipping streams what sets it apart from other tea companies and from other teas in general yeah so we do sell teas that are from around the world any con like we sell things also like peppermints and chamomile, some basic herbal ones. We have about 50 different teas that we sell. And when I started going to these huge like international tea conferences, every single person told me, you're not a real tea company unless you have a lot, at least 100 teas on your menu. And I'm like, well, I can't handle that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't even know what's going to sell. I'm in little Alaska, you know? <laughs> and so... I'm like, do I even have a market other than I just lean into what people are asking for, what people have questions about? Then I give them what they want. I don't know if you ever heard that saying, give them the pickle. Like, I don't <laughs> know what it was. There was like this sales show we, we watched when I was in a class one time on psychology. And it was like, if they want the pickle so bad, then just give them the pickle about the customer service experience. And I was just like, why don't you just give people what they want? I don't want to carry this stuff and like push it on them. I don't know that much about it. So every tea that I carry, I know about that tea or that herbal ingredient. And so I don't try to be the person who knows everything. I don't know everything. I'm not even a doctor. Okay. So I try to tell people I like, I worked in sports medicine. I'm not a doctor. You know, this is not advice. You've got to talk to your doctor still, but this is what I remember in my pharmacology class. And this could be a contraindication for this, like chamomile, don't take it with blood thinners or blood thickeners, vitamin K, same thing. So some basic knowledge that I have that I would advise people against, but when I started my company, so when I came back and I was substitute teaching on the side, I was literally going from home to home doing direct sales of tea education. So anyone who wanted to learn more about tea, that's what I wanted to do. 
I wanted to teach people about tea. And then slowly people were like, well, do you sell this tea? I'm like, well, no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can get you the tea, you know? So I had mm-hmm. some, but I had to grow my tea up to the diversity that I have now, even though it's not that much based off of the questions people wanted. So what makes my tea company set apart is that A, our customer service is amazing because our whole thing is about our interactions with the people that we serve. We're serving people. We're serving people so that they can have an incredible tea journey like me, personal discovery, personal growth. Our tea company's mission is to help people to grow to know who they are, enable conversations with each other, heal family relationships. I mean, tea has been so powerful for me and my family because mostly of that whole identity crisis thing that my parents wouldn't open up about their childhood because it was so hard. They lived in poverty. And so they would not talk about their past. And so then I would just talk about tea and what I learned about in tea. And then they would open up about the tea farm that they grew up by. And I was like, what? You were by a tea farm? This is more conversations into a deeper level because the medium was tea. The surface conversation was about tea, but took it to a deeper level. And so one thing that sets us apart is definitely how we use the medium of tea and community and conversations to help with personal growth. I love that. It really is. I think in general, a lot of foods and beverage, like it can be a great uniter. And for me personally, I have so many fond memories of drinking tea with my mom on a trip, for example. And yes, it's about the tea. We love the tea, but it's also about the experience we have and the conversations that we have while we're drinking the tea and, you know, all of the memories that we create getting to that point rather than just what it is that we're drinking. And I think that there's such a power in that. And I love that it's really opened up so many stories about your own family and your family history. Yeah. And I mean, that's my mission with the company. Otherwise I would never do it. I could just work in a hospital or in a school. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't have to put on all the crazy hours and like kill myself almost. Well, and I even like went through burnout, like extreme burnout where my body was like, if you don't slow down right now, you're going to be in the hospital. Because that's also in my book. I wrote a book called The Essence of Tea. It's named after my podcast also. And I talk about how I had pushed so hard the edge of entrepreneurship that I went to the hospital three times, the ER, three times in two weeks. And the doctor, and I was like, you're not a PA, right? Like you're a doctor, doctor, because like, I've just worked with a lot of doctors and PAs. And if PAs want to give me advice, I'm like, where's the doctor? I need to talk to a doctor. (laughs) And she's like, no, I'm a doctor. And I've never seen this except for people who are in extremely stressful situations. And then um, she was like, let me look at your legs. I'm like, my legs? What are you talking about? Because my throat was closing off. Like I couldn't even breathe or talk. Like it was just so inflamed. My immune system was like shutting down, like forcing me not to do anything anymore. And I don't have any autoimmune diseases, but you can trigger them, you know? Like, I mean, you have to be careful because you never know what triggers them. And she looks at my legs and she's like, you don't have any purple dots yet. And I'm like, what the heck are purple dots? You know, because I'm in the medical, I have a medical background. I'm like, what is that? She's like, viral meningitis. I'm just letting you know, I'm going to get all these purple dots in the next couple days and they're going to almost be like boils, but like inside your body and you're going to build up all this fluid and then they're going to break. And I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds so disgusting. Like, And I'm sorry for your listeners are like, this is too graphic. But I was just like, this is a sign, Jenny. Things have to change in your business. You're ignoring yourself now. You're too busy serving other people that you've ignored yourself. And the whole point was to help everyone, even yourself. I'm like, all right, I got to take this as a lesson. So I still remember that when I teach people about, you know, um, certain things that prevent inflammation and even certain autoimmune diseases, because I have a lot of customers with autoimmune diseases that I'm always saying like, you know what? I don't have an autoimmune disease, but I know what it's like to push yourself to the edge. And there was a possibility that I wouldn't come back from that. And I would not be able to serve. I could not be here. I could not tell my story. I could possibly never have met you because I pushed myself too far. I'm so glad that you were able to make those changes because so many people don't come back from that. And burnout is such a real thing. The CDC is finally recognizing it as an actual physical problem that we're experiencing that has real ramifications. What kind of changes did you make to 
live a different life and run your business in a way that was manageable for you and that was kinder to you? So I work so hard to be an example. Like I'm, you know, one of my gifts or my love languages, um, if you've ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, is like gifts of service and quality time. And quality time gets ignored a lot. I don't get a lot of quality time. I don't give a lot of quality time. But service, it's like my reputation. Maybe that's where my pride comes in. It's like I can do it and I will execute no matter what it takes. Some people call me like a drill sergeant. They're like, man, you're like a drill sergeant. You're hardcore. And I'm like, nope, I've never been in the military. I'm too short. I'm only four nine. I'd have to get a medical <laughs> in the military. But then I think about like, what about the quality of service? So if I'm ignoring my diet, as in I'm not even eating because I'm so busy doing to make sure that I'm always there first thing before my staff come in, that I'm there at the very end, that my staff and my team know I'm there for them. And then like when a friend calls and I'm, I'm there for them, I won't be there for them if I myself am not healthy enough. So diet is one of the things that I notice when I get really like time blocking on my schedule gets really full. I'm like, okay, where I'm going to eat, even if I'm driving. Like I have to put something in me, right? And the other thing is sleep because I used to brag all the time that I could run off of like three hours of sleep, which I did most of college, like having 19 credits semester, um, 40 hours a week for my internship and my two part-time jobs. I could live off of three hours of sleep at a time. Was it healthy for me? Probably not, but I'm getting older now the opposite's happening. So like I'm retaining weight. I don't feel comfortable in my body. And part of that has to do with the lack of sleep, not necessarily the amount of energy that I'm putting on because your body is in survival mode, holding on to that quote unquote weight, right? Cause it's preserving you cause you're kind of starving yourself. So I eat a lot, which is good because I just forget to eat. I have to make it a habit to eat. And I love eating, by the way. It's just I get busy. But sleep is the thing that I'm working on the most now. And whenever I feel like I'm through a stressful situation during that time, after figuring out that I was on burnout, every time I'm stressed out, probably not the healthiest thing to do, but I just know myself is every time I'm under a lot of stress or a lot of deadlines, I eat and I eat and I eat because I don't remember to eat. And then also taking time for tea. So when I started my company in the very beginning, I'd always do a tea time for myself, just making some tea, making some space for myself. And then when I get busy, I don't make space for myself. I sometimes don't even drink tea. Like people go, oh, must be all the tea you're drinking. I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, if it makes the sales, all right. You know, I'll keep telling them that. But I'm not even staying hydrated and hydration, just water alone is so important for your brain functions to even work, for every single organ, every department in your body to operate effectively. So the most recent things I need to focus on right now in my life would be sleep and staying hydrated. The eating part I have under control, but every time I take time for myself with a tea time, just literally heating up the hot water, steeping my tea and drinking it, it's enough of a slowdown in the day to be a game changer. I mean, I'm sure we spend more time in the bathroom than it takes to make a cup of tea. So just remembering for me to have some time, five minutes for a cup of tea because of the ritual behind it and the mindset, it's a huge game changer in my day. I just need to be more purposeful in doing it. I can so relate to that. And I found, I mean, I scroll so much that I realize that all the things I say I don't have time for. It's like, well, if I wasn't scrolling, I could actually probably be scrolling while the tea is steeping, although that's maybe not the healthiest way to change the behavior, but that and the sleep for me as well. I, I find, yeah, the ritual of it and just taking that time. It is a relaxing activity to sit with your tea. It's not, it's not like the coffee where I picture the person with the coffee that's kind of running from activity to activity. I'm not really doing that with tea. It really is more of a purposeful, intentional, I need to sit here, drink this. I can't drink it too fast. I'm going to burn my mouth if I do. And just sort of take that time and breathe a little bit with it. But I think, yeah, that me time and for you running 
running your own business and having, you know, you're serving as that role model. You are someone that you're educating other people. You want to make sure that you are putting yourself first and having those boundaries there is is so key. So I love that you're doing that and continuing to prioritize that. And I think those priorities change from time to time that for me too, the, the sleep is one of those things I think I struggle with the most and the hydration I have in the past. So I started a water goal this year that I've been, or at least in the last few weeks that I've been pretty good about sticking to, or at the very least coming close to where before I was kind of like, yeah, I'd have a cup of water. And then a few hours later, maybe I'd remember again to drink. But yeah, I think really making it a priority and understanding that you are going to show up in the world in a different way, in a more positive way, if you're putting that time into you. Yeah, for sure. I actually have this tea growler. So it's like 64 ounce growler, but it's for tea, for loose leaf tea in it. So when I remember to do that, because I drink, if, if the tea's there, I'm going to keep drinking it. So if I just make myself the tea growler, I'll get my 64 ounces in, in a day easily. And it doesn't even bother me. So sometimes I need a little bit of help getting those practices going. And I try not to beat myself up about not like the disappointments, because all that does is bring more discouragement and negativity. So I just go, hmm, tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to try to be better. Just 1% better every day. I love that. I think that that's such a great way to look at it. And also knowing sometimes you're not going to meet that goal, but you still tried and maybe you came close and it's better than it is 1% better, but it's maybe better than you would have been a month ago or whatever it is. Yeah, just remembering how far you've come because sometimes I think we're up leveling so much that we're comparing ourselves to the self we want to be and not realizing, hey, you've come quite a long way and you're doing these incredible things and that you are at a different level from where you were. And so to just recognize that and I think give some appreciation and some space for that too. So you sell tea, but you also are a manufacturer and your business, you talk about being a sustainable business, which I think is fantastic. And I think more and more, especially the next generation of consumers and tea drinkers, we want to support businesses that are good for the environment, that are doing positive things. And so tell me about that sustainability piece and why that's important to you and how exactly you practice that in your business. Okay, I've been in business now for 16 years and all of like my new staff, when they come in, the old staff are just like, don't ever throw anything away. You're going to make her Like it's one of my, but we also live here in Alaska. So where I live in Alaska is the very middle of the state. We're called, called the golden heart of Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska. And we do not have very good um, recycling programs. We're so far away. Like the carbon footprint to ship stuff down to even to Washington state is going to cost so much, cause more pollution, things like that. I'm not saying I'm against recycling, but it's not very practical because those recycling factories are not actually in Alaska. They go a long ways away to even get recycled. So I try to do the very first thing is reduce, reuse before I even hit recycle. So we save almost every single container that we have as far as like, so if we have our tea canisters and people here locally buy the tea canisters from us, we say, bring your canister back in and be refilled with the same flavor of tea. And we give you 10% off the bulk price because you're reusing it, right? So you don't have all these canisters in the landfill. Our canisters are currently tin, but we're going to be switching them into a compostable paperboard that's food safe. And that's because so many of our customers have so many tins. Like they'll just come in, they'll grab the tin, even though we've got a tea bar and we can weigh tea out by bulk, it's just faster for them to grab a tin. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Like, I shouldn't have so many tins, but I forgot my tin. So we're like, okay, what's the next level? If there's going to be all these tins that people have, even though they can refill them, maybe if it was a paper that can be compostable and break down, because they're going to end up being thrown in our landfills anyway. So, and, and granted, we have a lot of space for our landfills here, but I don't want us to have a situation where we're shipping garbage to the moon or something like that, you know? So, and it all is, is another thing on our planet. So changing the way that our packaging is, 
And even for our pyramid tea bags, most people don't realize that those Lipton pyramid tea bags, even though Lipton's got them now too, they're actually made out of plastic. They're nylon. And so all of our pyramid tea bags are actually made out of a non-GMO plant-based material from Morocco. And they can withstand boiling hot water. They don't compost until after a certain temperature, but boiling water doesn't like break them apart. So we chose very importantly that our fiber is something that can break down because we know here in Alaska, most people are just going to throw the tea bag in the garbage can, right? And it's going to go to landfill. So as much as we want to be healthy, because some people, tea bags is their only thing to start making those baby steps of change. It's not loose leaf tea. We sell loose leaf tea, but some people just want the bags. And we're happy that they're making a healthier choice in their life. So how can we reach out to them? And we've started changing our packaging too. So our pouches of our pyramid tea bags that they go into, they are actually not plastic, even though they look like they have a clear plastic film on them, like a window, they're all compostable. So we're switching and changing everything into being compostable or as eco as possible, eco-friendly as possible. And we also just started the first ever geothermal powered tea farm in the world here in our own state of Alaska. So we just started the first ever tea farm um, almost two years ago during COVID and it's all sustainably run off of geothermal heat from the hot springs, which power the geothermal power plants at this resort that's about an hour away from our town. I know the owner personally. Um, and then the water that's watered is all from the spring water. All the electricity is made from the geothermal heat. So we're growing tea plants sustainably in freezing cold Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. I, th I think that's amazing. And I, uh, what exactly inspired the geothermal piece to it, especially with it being the very first one? That's so, so cool. So the person who owns this resort actually is a good friend of mine and my husband's. And he actually married my husband and I. So I've known him for a long time. And when I was a high school teacher, our students would spend a week there working one in one of their geothermal greenhouses counting their tomatoes, weighing them out. Their whole resort, all the food, all the produce that feeds the restaurants and all the staff who live there and are housed there is all from their own greenhouses. So I've known about this greenhouse for a long, or a series of like four greenhouses for a long time. And during COVID, because my tea certification students couldn't visit tea farms, right? Because we're not traveling anywhere. And I had to cancel a bunch of tea tours because I was taking people to tea farms around the world where I source some of my teas. And then COVID happened. So what I did instead was I mailed tea plants, little tea trees to all my students in my certified tea specialist program. And so then the students then were like, so when are you going to start a tea farm? Remember how I always listen to what people ask about? <laughs> that was the only time I was like, nope, not doing it. Not starting a tea farm. I've got so many things already going on. Remember my boundaries, right? I need sleep. I need to remember to take some space <laughs> for myself. And so my husband who was right about to join my company at the time. He was leaving his job because that way we could spend more time together because he knew I was always working on the weekends. He's like, well, the only time I ever get to see you is on the weekends and you're working. So I might as well join the company so I can always see you. And he was like, but what would it take to start a tea farm? <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this is the only way it could happen that I can see it happening in Alaska because of these parameters that these tea plants need. Like the agriculture of this plant needs this certain type of humidity, this type of temperature. It can grow in a place that has snow, but not minus 30 below. Like that's too cold. It would kill the plants. And so it couldn't grow in Southeast Alaska because of this situation. It couldn't grow in Southwest Alaska near Seattle because of this situation, because of the soil or the type of rain that there is. So the only way I can see is this controlled environment, which would be at Chena Hot Springs Resort. So then he goes, oh, well, you know how to do it, sounds like. Why don't you ask Bernie? I was like, I'm not gonna ask Bernie. I don't wanna start a tea farm. He's like, well, what's it gonna hurt? He might just say no. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. He might just say no. So I text him and we're texting back and forth. He's like, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. And then he calls me in the middle of nowhere one day. And he's like, you got 15 minutes. Tell me your idea, go. And I'm like, okay. So I pitched him the idea, hoping he would say no. And he said, yes. So I'm like, oh man, now I'm a tea farmer. <laughs> 
that is so cool. And just, it's so inspiring to see businesses having these sustainable practices and that now you're manufacturing in a way that's sustainable and that it's improving the world. And it's like, there's so much that businesses are doing that it's really scary to see the reports coming out with how we're impacting the environment. And so to see that you are doing so much and pioneering this area that nobody has done before, I think that's such an inspiration and it will be cool to see how other businesses kind of take on more of these practices in the years to come too. Yeah, for sure. And I, and what the thing is that I encourage anyone who has a business and here's the word sustainable. I just want you to know that I don't even put on any of my packaging that it's compostable. I don't say that it's non-GMO compostable materials. I should. But the thing is though, I can do that later. It's totally fine. But what's more important to me is it is important to me that it's sustainable. So don't ever do anything you cannot 100% do yourself. Like if you're not into the compostable stuff, don't do it. Save where you can. Reuse the backs of your pieces of paper. Reduce, reuse is before recycle anyways. And take baby steps. Because for me, sustainability is not because I want it for a marketing ploy. That's why people go, but it doesn't say that it's on the package. I'm like, oh yeah, huh, well it is, you know? But because it's who I am. So don't do something because you feel like you're pressured into it or you're comparing yourself. It's not healthy either. And in the long run, technically, it won't be sustainable. You won't be able to keep it up. So only do at that moment in time, that baby step of what you can do, make it into a practice. And that's what makes you sustainable for yourself. I love that. I think that's such great advice. And I do think there are people that would see sustainable on the packaging and think, oh, well, that's something I should try. But I think it's so it's just admirable that you're doing it again, not for the marketing ploy. I know that there are times in our history where we'll see things are being greenwashed and they're maybe not even that sustainable in practice, but it is a marketing ploy. And instead, you're doing these practices. You're trying this out because you believe it's the right thing to do. It's going to fulfill you. You believe that by doing that, you're making the world a better place. And I think that that's going to translate through your work no matter how how much you're advertising it outright, you're going to see that passion come through. Yeah, for sure. And it's all about the self. If you feel guilty about doing something or you feel pressured into it, how sustainable is that for your own energy? If you're always worried about something and then feel guilty afterwards. So that's why I say like, you have to look at yourself as being sustainable. And maybe it's a small thing that you can do that you want to do, first of all, and then can do. And then it becomes a part of who you are. And people think about sustainability as like eco-friendly or saving the planet. But you also have to think about the self of being sustainable, of who you are as a Yeah. And I think giving yourself the grace of you're not necessarily going to have to, you can make a difference without being zero waste or without Mm -hmm. having any, because we're all going to have a carbon footprint. I don't care who it is. And kind of recognizing what you can do, what you do have within your control, what is going to resonate for you. And yeah, as you said, what's going to be sustainable for you? Because yeah, you could crash and burn if it's Yeah. So I think that really is so important. And I love the work that you're doing. I'm so excited to share your story with our listeners. Before we get into how the listeners can find you and connect and some of some of the different things that you offer, I have some rapid fire questions I'd love to ask our guests. And I'd love to ask you now. Sure. Awesome. So my first one for you, what is your favorite self care practice right now? My favorite self care practice right now is going on a bike ride, which there's no bike riding right now <laughs> like yeah. this is what I norm like this is my favorite self-care practice is going for a bike ride down to the river with my two dogs every day mm. that's like my me time and I feel like the breeze going through my hair and you know and I see the beautiful water and the river and I just bike back home and I'm like yeah that's like my me time and I see the joy in my dogs running so it's not at this moment But when the snow melts in May, I'm super excited to go do that again. 
Oh, that's so fun and so restorative. And I have to ask what kind of dogs. Oh, I have two purebred Catahoulas. I have a Brindle and a Merrill. Oh, so cool. <laughs> that's amazing. And I think the time with the animals too. I mean, that's that's so restorative for us and such a nice self-care. Seeing the joy on their faces when they're experiencing the world is so... My parents just got a puppy and seeing how happy he is to just get outside, it kind of like spark something in me every time I see it. And I'm sure doing that every single day, being being with them and getting to do that. I mean, that just adds to the experience, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, if you had a one word theme for the year ahead, what would it be? Oh, I know my word. My word this year is refinement. Refining, focusing on what I'm doing now and how I can improve. I, I mentioned that 1%. I'm trying to do that with everything. I don't need to do more of it of whatever. I don't need to do different. I'm already blessed with so much right now. I just need to refine it. I love that. I think that's such a great word. And now my final question for you for my rapid fires, what are you most looking forward to? I think by the time this is going to be like the recording is, um, when the listeners hear this will have already happened. I have my tea wellness retreat coming up March 25th and 26th. And we're flying our matcha producers here to Alaska. So we'll be hand grinding our own ceremonial matcha and learning all about the quality and the health benefits of matcha. We'll be um, harvesting tea by hand at our tea farm with our attendees and making our own handcrafted tea, green tea that we'll be making. We'll be having a cheese and tea pairing workshop and we'll be doing painting with tea. Like as in we're gonna make pigments with tea, I'm not an art instructor, so my friend's going to teach the art, and I'm going to be teaching about the health benefits of the tea, which I'll make the teas that were in the pigments, and drinking the tea, enjoying the tea, and the creative spirit of tea. So that's what I'm most looking forward to right now. That sounds amazing. Like, what a dream, and such cool opportunities to get to do so many different things there. So how cool is that? Oh my gosh. Are you, is this your first time hosting one of these retreats? Um, So I've never had a tea retreat before. I've taken people on tea tours overseas. And um, this is actually the second time our matcha producers will be flying in from Japan. So the president of a hundred plus year old matcha farm in Japan is, is coming up here for the second time. Last time he came was over 10 years ago. And it'll, what I'm really excited also, not just because we're like, oh, like the president of like one of the leading matcha companies is coming here. It's because I'm actually really good friends with him and I haven't seen him in 10 years. So I'm very excited. Our, our fun, like I have all these fun memories of him before. And now that we're both a lot older, you know, 10 years later, it'll be kind of fun to catch up and just like reconnect in these funny, quirky ways. That is so cool. Well, I really do think that everything we do, it really is about the people ultimately. And you get to know so many amazing people with great stories and great experiences that you've had through the things that you've done. And so I think that's going to be amazing just getting to catch up and just getting these experiences to getting to, I think the, the painting with the tea is so cool. And I'd never really thought about that before, but what an amazing retreat. And I wish you all the best with that. For our listeners that would like to learn more about your business, connect with you, maybe they'd like to order themselves some tea. How can they find you and connect? What are the best ways for that? Yeah, they can um, find me on our website at Sipping Streams, S-I-P-P-I-N-G-S-T-R-E-A-M-S.com. So we usually put all of our events and our tea education opportunities up there too. And then they can also find out more about in-depth tea education at universa-t.com. So it's like U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T university.com for all of our tea classes that we have. That is so cool. Oh my gosh. I'm definitely going to be checking that out. And I think that everything you're doing is incredible. I'll be linking both of these links in the show notes. I'd also like to link your book and your podcast as well. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the show that you host? Yeah. So the essence of tea, the book was started first just because so many people were interested in my story and 
got into tea because a lot of beginning tea drinkers would also appreciate it too because I was not always a tea drinker. So it talks about some of the health benefits in there. And then when I started the podcast, it was a way for me to continually educate people about all the questions people have. So I love it when people email me questions or topics that they want me to cover because on our YouTube channel alone, we have over 350 videos on tea education. And the podcast, I get to interview other people who are into tea or, you know, some sort of health and wellness, because the whole point of my mission of my company is to help people grow to know who they are for improving personal development, health, wellness. So we don't always have tea professionals as guests. Sometimes I just have people who are just interested in certain aspects of wellness. We've had people speak on autoimmune diseases on my podcast, but it mostly is a tea podcast. So yeah, it's kind of fun. That's awesome. I'll make sure to link that too. I think it's a great show. I've enjoyed getting to listen to some of the episodes myself and I can't wait for listeners to get to hear your story on our show. And I just would love to thank you, Jenny, for the work that you do and for sharing your time and your energy with us today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning into my conversation with Jenny this week. I absolutely love the ritual of tea in my own life and how tea really does bring people together. It's a bonding thing for me and my mom. We always drink tea when we take our trips or when I'm at the house. It's something that I've really enjoyed with friends. And even for my, I want to say 25th birthday, I had a tea party um, just to celebrate and to be a little bit festive. But it's something that I really enjoy. And I love that it has some really great health benefits as well. I'm really fascinated by the work that Jenny does and how she brings sustainability to her products. I think that that is so incredible and she's really walking the walk and I can't wait to try a cup for myself. Don't forget to check out the show notes for more information on Sipping Streams Tea Company along with links to Jenny's podcast and book. Please make sure you share, rate, and review the show. It helps us continue to bring incredible guests like Jenny to the show. It also helps me know what you all are looking for and how the show is resonating. And if you have a topic you'd like us to explore in the future on this show, please reach out to me on Instagram at wellnessandwanderlustblog or drop me a line by email valerie at wellnessandwanderlust.net. I hope you all have a fantastic day and I'll talk to you next time.